Amen. You can be seated. Hope College, we are so blessed to have so many great churches in the area. How many of you guys attend a local church on Sunday mornings? Let's try that again. How many of you guys attend church on Sunday mornings? Come on. There's a few more. Yeah. Come on. Let's move it up. Um, I attend one of the best ones uh, on Sundays. Uh, great church um, over on uh, Maple and 18th, right? Called Maple Avenue Ministries. Uh, and we have the amazing privilege to have um, Pastor Emily with us this morning. She was here as an intern a couple of years ago. She went to Western Seminary. She was on staff with Young Life um, in various places. So let's put your hands together for Pastor Emily this morning. Thanks, Bruce. Um, I'm actually also a Hope College alum, uh, class of 09. So um, it's good to be back home. Uh, friends, hear these words from the book that we love from John chapter 9. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, it is he. Others were saying, no, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, he is a prophet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This story about Jesus and the healed blind man goes on for the entirety of chapter 9, 41 verses in total. I only read half of it. After the blind man declares that he thinks Jesus is a prophet, the Judeans get upset and call the man's parents to come testify, asking them if their son really had been blind from birth. There's a whole exchange debating if the man was actually blind and has been healed or not, if 
Jesus is a sinner because he doesn't obey the Sabbath or not, or if Jesus is actually from God because he can heal or not. Basically, there's a lot going on here, but for the moments we have together today, I'd like to wonder about one thing, the Sabbath. If you were here in chapel on Friday, we listened as Jill preached on John 5, another story about Jesus healing another person again on the Sabbath. And actually, it seems like Jesus heals somewhat often on the Sabbath. We read in the Gospels about the man with the withered hand, the crippled woman, the man with a condition called dropsy, all healed on the Sabbath. But if Jesus knew he'd cause controversy with the authorities, why continue to do it? Because each time Jesus healed on the Sabbath, he got in trouble with the local religious leaders. It's almost like he wants to stir up something to make us wonder what it's all about. In our text today, there's an argument because Jesus is not observing the Sabbath. According to Jewish law, there are 39 categories of activities that are restricted on the Sabbath. Everything from planting and plowing to igniting and extinguishing a fire. And among these categories are hundreds of subcategories. And Jesus is at least breaking a few. A couple years ago, I was in Israel staying at a kosher-keeping Jewish hotel for a few days. And one morning, I boarded the elevator and was surprised when we began making stops at every floor, no matter if anybody had pushed the button or no matter if anybody was waiting to board. It was perplexing, and we thought that perhaps our elevator was malfunctioning, which is never a good thing. That is, until we realized that it was Saturday, Shabbat, Sabbath, and we learned that one way to ignite or extinguish a fire is to turn on or off electricity. By pushing an elevator button, one would create sparks and therefore work on the Sabbath. And so on the Sabbath, elevators do the work of igniting the fire for you. I was absolutely blown away by the commitment and the faithfulness of those around me and the careful observation of the Sabbath that they had. But in my own experience, I think there are mainly two schools of thought in our current culture surrounding Sabbath. Either it's a day when we're forbidden to do anything fun and we're supposed to go to church and then sit around all day, or it's just not really possible in our context to observe the Sabbath besides maybe going to church. There's too much homework and laundry and stuff to catch up on and grocery shopping and all the things. But I wonder, what is the Sabbath about? What is Jesus up to here in John 9? We catch a glimpse as to what the Sabbath is about in the two sets of the Ten Commandments we find in Exodus and Deuteronomy, where the Sabbath sits as the fourth commandment. In one, it's about creation, God 
rests after God has created. And in the other, Sabbath is about a confrontation against the slavery that the Israelites endured in Egypt. Sabbath is a call to remember that the earth does not depend on my work to keep going around the sun. That it's God, not me and my working, who shaped the world and who continues to hold it and by whom all things come into being. It's a declaration that God rescued us from slavery. We are no longer called to constantly work because we are not slaves to any person or institution, but we belong to God. And in both sets of Ten Commandments, it is everyone who is to keep the Sabbath. The parents, the kids, the servants, the barnyard animals, the land, the foreigners. It's a day set equally aside for everyone in the community. In these commandments, we hear undertones of shalom. That Hebrew word that not only means peace, but well-being, health, wholeness, the flourishing of everyone and everything. Just like it was in the beginning, the recognition of the humanity and dignity of every person and the restoration of creation to its creator. So back in John 9, what we encounter is a debate about whether or not someone can or should heal another on this holy day. It is work, after all, to heal, especially mixing together mud. It's all strictly forbidden. But Jesus heals the man anyway. He doesn't seem concerned with all the rules and restrictions, but instead turns to what will bring more life more peace, more wholeness, more of God's shalom into the world. I'm not saying that we shouldn't observe the Sabbath. I believe that we are called to celebrate it and to keep it holy. For me, the Sabbath has become an incredible practice that keeps me grounded in God. It brings joy to my family and it helps me to shed the constant pressures and expectations of the world around me, even if just for a time. But, at least for me and for the Pharisees, it's tempting to either forget about the Sabbath and the busyness of my life, or to attempt to impose super strict rules of do's and don'ts in order to maintain its boundaries. However, the Sabbath is supposed to be a time of flourishing, of love, joy, worship, peace, restoration, wholeness, of shalom. As my own beloved pastor pointed out to me just the other day, the blind man we find healed by Christ in John 9, his humanity and dignity is not cared for by the Pharisees or by those who keep questioning him and his parents, or even by the disciples. The passage begins with the disciples pointing out the man and asking Jesus some theological question about his condition. 
They're not caring for the man's well-being, his wholeness, his flourishing. They look beyond the person, just wanting to get the right answer to their question. Instead, Jesus turns it all upside down and touches and speaks to the man, healing him, restoring his sight, and bringing about shalom. Friends, how do we observe the Sabbath? Do we abstain from any activity that might be work but to the detriment of others? Or do we forget about it entirely, shrugging it off as an impossibility, as a busy college student with papers to write and tests to study for, or like me, sometimes a preoccupied pregnant pastor mama with a two-year-old and a house full of chores? How might we find rest in a way that is honoring to God? A way that remembers that we are called to celebrate the Sabbath, but that practicing the Sabbath doesn't mean inaction on a certain day of the week, but instead an active, shalom-seeking way to live our lives. My prayer today is that you may find rest in this November wintry season as we look forward to finals and papers and tests and all the things that need to get done, may you find rest. I pray that we may step into flourishing for ourselves and for the people and the creation around us. That we may always seek to usher in more shalom to this world. And as we close, I'd like to ask you to stand together and receive this familiar blessing that in Jewish custom is often spoken over loved ones on the Sabbath. Friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And may the Lord place upon you Shalom. Go in peace. Amen.